morning. Well, we got to the last bit of um, the Great Commission today. We're into the last sentence. We've heard Jesus so far. Tell us who he really is. He's the king. Give us this great task to be a part of, to go out to all the world, to make disciples, to persuade people to be his apprentices, to come and follow him, to, to have all that he's done account for them, to forgive their sins, to make them new to sweep away death and tears once and for all, to be baptised into all of that, to have a new family name, to be a new person, and then to walk in his ways, to be his apprentice. Um, that's our task. And Jesus finishes it all off with this incredible promise. I mean, how do we get the power to do that? What is it that enables us to go and be a part of his, of his purposes? Well, one, it's that he's in charge and he's the one who's sending us with all authority, with his authority. But it's also that he goes with us. That's the sentence we get to right at the end. Jesus says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's what gives us strength to go and do all that he's called us to do, to be all that he's made us to be, because he's with us. His presence is our enabling. He's with us always to the very end of the age. That's a mind-blowing promise. That the God of all the world, that the God of, the God of hundreds of billions of galaxies would want to be with us would come and make his home with us, would dwell with people like you and me, is an amazing thing. Uh, it really should blow our minds that he will be with us always to the very end of the age so that every moment that you're breathing, he's with you and will be with you as long as you're breathing and as when you breathe your last, when it gets to that moment, when you breathe your last, you will be with him. As long as you're breathing, he'll be with you. When you breathe your last, you will be with him. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Because he has all authority and has promised, has chosen to dwell with us. So what kind of situations would that be? Would we notice that? Would that be useful? And would, would we feel that? Well, when we're lonely in particular, and loneliness is a huge problem in our culture at the moment. When might you feel lonely? Well, when you have a fall, and you've been pressing your beeper, you're stuck there on the floor waiting for the ambulance, waiting for somebody to come through the door and help you, pick you up, and you feel alone. Well, you're not alone. Jesus is with you. If you're somebody following him, if you're somebody who belongs to him and he belongs to you, then you're not alone. Maybe you're in school and, um, and you're eating lunch alone because you had an argument with your friends, because they've given you the cold shoulder, because something happened. And now you're kind of on the outside. You feel alone and you feel like everybody's watching you. You're not alone. If you belong to Jesus and he belongs to you, you're not alone. He's with you always. Nothing can separate you. If you're in the staff room and somebody's asked you an awkward question about Christianity and you're just looking for the right words, you want to share something about Jesus, but you just don't know what to say and you feel alone, you feel exposed, you're not alone. Jesus is with you to the very end of the age. If you're breathing, he is with you. When you stop breathing, you'll be with him. Nothing can separate you from the love of, of God in Christ by his Spirit. It's really good news. So we're going to talk today about that, about God's presence with us. There's a few things that, maybe two in particular, I think, that make us feel like, like we can't be in his presence. One is that we feel like we're too small, and I think the other is that, that we might feel we're too sinful. That, that we're too small. Okay, let's begin with that. That Surely he's too busy to be bothered with me. The God who made the galaxies, hundreds of billions of stars, trillions of light years across, can't even see through the ends of the galaxy, and the God who made all that is interested in you? Really? Honestly? 
he would want a personal relationship with little old you. We feel that, don't we? At least I think some of us feel that really keenly. Why would he be interested in me? Why would he bother with my little problems? Why would he want to listen to my prayers? But, but here he is. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, this famous verse where Jesus says to you, to me, to us, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, the door of your life. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, so you don't have to be a super saint. You don't have to be some special, historically significant Christian. You can just be you. Little old tiny speck of dust in the scheme of the universe, you. And he wants to come in and eat a meal with you, make his home with you. So don't feel that you're too small. We are small, we should be too small. By rights, he shouldn't be interested in us, but he is. He chooses to be. And he stands at the door and knocks. Will you let him in? Will you walk in his presence this week? Or maybe another thing that's keeping you is that you feel too sinful. Not necessarily too small, but like just too dirty. Why would a God like this, why would the good God of all the world, who, who'd give his only son, who'd love us that much, why would he want anything to do with me? That's what Isaiah felt. Um, Isaiah, this great famous old prophet in the Old Testament, he had an experience of seeing God's presence in the temple one day. And this is what he says. The temple shakes, it fills with smoke. It just is too much for him. And he falls down on his face and says, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And he falls on his face and says, I can't survive. I can't be here anymore. I'm too sinful for this. I don't deserve to be in his presence. You know, that's true. It's true. Just like we really are too small, he shouldn't be interested in us. We really are too sinful. He shouldn't be anywhere near us, but he chooses to be. Jesus, the one who says these words that promises to be with us now and forever to the end of the age, he's the same one who not long before that mountaintop was on another mountain, another hill called Calvary, and he was dying for us. The Jesus who makes that promise has scars in his hands and his feet on his side. And he's looking at his disciples, his disciples who are doubting, who are struggling, who go on to make all sorts of mistakes and sins and failures, who've already made all sorts of mistakes and sins and failures. And he knows exactly what they are, exactly who they are, exactly what they're like. And he willingly died for them anyway, loved them so much that he was willing to die for them, to clean away all of that sin so that he could bring them close. So do you know how Jesus sees you now? We'll go back and read the Song of Solomon. You might have to do a bit of digging around in the Old Testament to find it. The Song of Solomon is a long poem written by a king about his bride. And it's a picture, it's a poem really about Jesus and his people. He's the one who's the king, the man in the story. And his bride is the woman, the, um, the, the beloved. This is what the groom, the husband, says about his bride. This is Jesus speaking about his church. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. He looks at us and this is what he says to us. You are beautiful. He gives this beautiful, incredible, like kind of weird poetic description of what she's like. This is Song of Solomon chapter four I'm reading from. And then ends up saying, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There's no flaw in you. Come away with me, my bride. You've captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You've captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful your love is. My sister, my bride, how much better is your love than wine? 
the fragrance of your oils than any spice. It's a poem all about Jesus looking at his church, who he's made his church to be, cleansed us, washed us, made us without any flaws, so we know what we're like. He knows what we're like, and he loves us all the same. So there's nothing that could keep you from him. Not your own sin, not anything that anybody else has put on you and made you feel shameful and dirty. That isn't a reason to stay away from his presence. It's not a reason that that he uses to kick us out of his presence. In fact, it's it's what makes him love us all the more when we're flawed, when we sin, when we, uh, when we struggle. He loves us all the more and he wants to draw us close, just like the, the father does to the prodigal son, if you know that story from Luke 15. Jesus promises his presence. You're not too sinful. You're not too small. He really loves you. And this isn't just a small thing in scripture, by the way. This isn't a little throwaway comment that Jesus makes. It possibly is the whole point of Matthew's gospel. Um, if you were to flick back right to the beginning, you'd hear these famous verses we read at Christmas where the angel announces what the name of Jesus, the baby Jesus, is going to be. And do you remember what he says? His name is going to be Emmanuel, God with us. Chapter 1, verse 23. Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's right at the beginning of Matthew. And then right in the middle, Matthew 18, verse 20, there's another famous verse where Jesus says, talking about the church, when two or three people are gathered in my name, there I am with them. And then right here at the end of Matthew's gospel, he says, I will be with you. When you are scattered abroad and you've gone to all the corners of the world to tell people about me, I will be with you to the very end of the age. Do you see? The whole point of Jesus coming is that God would be with us. The whole point of the church gathering is that that's where where Jesus is. That's where God is. His presence is with us when we gather. But not just when we gather, when we scatter too and we're as far as we could be from each other. He's with us. So David says in one of those famous Psalms, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heights, if I make my bed in the, in the grave, if I die, there you will be, right there with me. We can't escape from God's presence, but he's, he's with us in a special way, I think, like Matthew's gospel shows. He's with us in a special way in his son, the Lord Jesus. He's the one that you need to come to, to know God, to be in his presence. He's with us in a special way in the church when we gather together. You want to know God's presence? Come to church, be with his people, meet with another Christian, and he'll be with you. You want to know God's special presence? Well, go out and be on mission. Go to the front lines. Go and make disciples. If you feel like you're far away and distant from him, well, there's a little solution. There's an application straight away. Come to where he is. Where does he promise to be in Matthew's gospel? With his people and out on the front line when they're scattered, making disciples. Go and talk to somebody about Jesus, and he'll be right there at your right hand with you as he's promised to be. But it's not just Matthew's gospel, the whole of the Bible is about this. Right the way back in Genesis, when the creation's finished, what do Adam and Eve do? They walk with God in the cool of the day, in the garden. It's as if that's the whole point of it. God has made this garden and planted it and filled it with life of all different kinds of light from the skies. And it's, it's a beautiful canvas, a beautiful stage set for what? Well, for God to walk with his people to just spend time with them. And then that goes wrong, doesn't it? The people are thrown out of the garden because they turn away from him. They don't want to be with him anymore. And so he says, okay, you can go out of my presence, out to the east. And the whole of the rest of the Bible story is about about him bringing us home again. So you might find in 1 Kings, for example, another really um, significant part where Solomon, the great King Solomon, who wrote that poem, the Song of Songs, is dedicating this temple that he's built to God, where God is going to come and live. And he it blows his mind. He says in his prayer of dedication, 
1 Kings chapter um, 8, verse 27, if you want to look it up. But will God really, will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven can't contain you. How much less this house, this temple that I've built. Yet would you have regard to the prayer of me, your servant, and to my plea, O Lord our God, listen to our cries, to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes would be open day and night toward this house, toward this place. It's almost beyond Solomon's imagining. How can God live in a house? Well, of course he can't. The universe can't contain him. He holds the universe in his hands. So how can a little temple that we make hold him? Well, the answer is that God, well, we can't limit him, but God can choose to to limit himself, to come down and dwell with us. And that's the story of of scripture, that he walks with us, that he lives in that temple right in the middle of the people of Israel, that even when they're thrown out of their land, taken away to Babylon in exile, out to the east, there's this intriguing passage in Ezekiel chapter 10, you can go and read it later on if you want, where God's presence leaves the temple and goes to the east, the same direction the people are going in exile, out to Babylon, far away, scattered to the four winds, but God goes with them to the east. His presence goes with him. And at the end of, the, of Ezekiel, he promises, promises that one day they'll come home again and that he will be their people. They will be, um, he will be their God and they'll be his people, that they'll dwell with him forever. Or Zechariah, a bit of more of a niche prophet uh, in the Old Testament. He says, shout for joy, all the earth. Shout for joy, all of God's people, because he comes to dwell to dwell among you. Or you could go right to the end of the Bible. We've already read a bit of Revelation where Jesus is knocking at the door saying, can I come in and have dinner with you? Right at the end of Revelation, it finishes with this voice from the throne of heaven saying, look, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Heaven comes down to earth, not separated any longer. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, with humanity. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. He'll be there physically. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former order has passed away. God's dwelling place is with us. Do you see that's the whole story of the Bible? This isn't just some little throwaway comment that Jesus makes. It's not just a promise for when we're feeling a bit lonely. No, it is that. This is the whole story of humanity. This is what you were made for. To know God and to walk with him. To feel his presence to walk in him like you walk out in the sunshine, to have him inside you and in your community and in the world so that, well, the picture of it in Revelation is that we don't need the sun anymore because he he invades and pervades and just gets into everything like light does. He himself will be the light. And we, we know what light does, don't we? It gives life to everything, to everything. So that's what God's presence is all about. But how do we have that presence? How is it? Well, I want to spend the rest of the time that we have together in John's gospel. And it would be really useful if you were to turn to that now. Let me have a go. Here we go. My, um, my little ribbon is in John chapter 14, if you want to go there. This is three chapters, John 14, 15 and 16, which are called the farewell discourse or the, the goodbye conversation. You could put it in kind of normal English. Um, the farewell discourse is, is Jesus, the night before he dies, um, the night before he's betrayed, speaking to his disciples, comforting them, helping them to make sense of what's about to happen, that he's about to leave them in death. And then eventually, a few weeks later, leave them in the ascension, go back to heaven. But he says, I'm not going to leave you alone. 
John chapter 14. I'd encourage you to go away and read these three chapters, 14, 15, 16, and see how much there is in there about God's presence with us, about what Jesus will do to be with us to the very end of the age, even when he's not here with us physically. How does he do that? Well, he does it by his spirit. Let me read you some bits from um, from the farewell discourse. John chapter 14, verse 15. Let's start from there. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus is going to send a helper. Now listen to this line, verse 18, John 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans. Do you ever feel like Jesus is far away? Like you're on your own? Well, Jesus says, no, 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 you're not. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. Verse 21, whoever has my, um, sorry, verse 20, verse 20. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. Verse 23, Jesus answers, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Did you hear that? Verse 25, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, who is this helper going to be? The Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you, speaking to those disciples. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give you, but I give generously. I think he's talking about there. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace I leave with you. My spirit I give to you. Jesus says he is going to be present with us. Even when he's not here in body, he's going to be here. How? By his Holy Spirit, by this helper, this comforter, a counsellor, the one who's going to speak on our behalf. That's who he's talking about in these chapters. There's all sorts of stuff here about the Holy Spirit, this helper who Jesus gives. That's how, that's the how of how he can be with us, even while he's away physically. It's that the Holy Spirit who comes and lives with us, who brings the Father and the Son to come and dwell with us and make us personally, like when Jesus was standing at the door in Revelation knocking, and together, corporately as the church, he's with us by his Holy Spirit. But what does the Holy Spirit do? What does it feel like to have God's presence with you? What is that actually like? Well, um, if you were to read this later on, um, you'll see. You'll see all sorts of different things that Jesus teaches us about the Holy Spirit. I just want to pick out three. What is it like when God's presence is with us? We've touched on a couple of them already, but one is we see Jesus. So this is all about your eyes. He opens your eyes to see who Jesus really is. If, you, if you've got to open there, have a look right at the end of chapter 15. Look at what Jesus says. Chapter 15, verse 26. When the helper comes, whom I'll send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he'll bear witness about me. Look on a little bit more. Chapter 16, verse 14. He, talking about the helper, this Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you see? Do you see what the Holy Spirit's job is? It's to shine a great big light on Jesus, to put the spotlight on him, to open our eyes so that we would see who Jesus really is. So this is how you know you're having a true spiritual experience. This is how you know that God's presence is with you if you see more of Jesus, if he is lifted up, 
if his name is named and if you learn more about him, if the spirit of truth teaches you true things, reveals to you Jesus and his mission and his purpose and, and his person and you see him more clearly and his, his significance is, just goes through the roof in your own life. His glory becomes everything to you. He becomes really weighty and heavy and significant for you. That's a work of the Spirit. That shows that God's presence is with you. There's lots of different religions that claim to have spiritual experiences. People often today talk about being spiritual, but not really religious. Spiritual, but not that interested in Jesus or Christianity or whatever. But no, true spirituality, true true spiritual experience, being in the presence of God will mean that you see Jesus that he becomes much more alive in your experience, that you see him more clearly. Okay, so there's something about our eyes, right? That we see Jesus. There's something else about our hearts or maybe our knees. Seeing God, being in his presence humbles us. Do you remember that Isaiah um, experience? Isaiah chapter six, he sees just a little bit of God's glory and he falls on his face, falls to his knees. It breaks him down. He realizes what he's really like. And this can be a really uncomfortable thing. This is in chapter 16. Jesus says, chapter 16, verse 8, when he comes, this helper, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That word convict is the kind of legal part, isn't it? That this counsellor, this spirit who comes and he'll stand for us and speak for us, but he'll also speak against certain things in our lives. lives. He'll make us see, he'll reveal to us our guilt, where we've gone wrong. And that will make us feel rotten. It will make us feel like we have to run away from God sometimes, like we have to fall on our face and and beg for mercy. He shows us what we really are. He opens our eyes, not just to see Jesus, but to see ourselves. And that makes us bend our knees. It makes us sometimes feel really rotten. I mean, so why would you want that? Why is that a good thing? Well, it's, it's a good thing because it doesn't end there. The whole point of the Holy Spirit showing us who we really are is that we would run to Jesus, that we would come and know him, that we'd see how much he really loves us, that that song of Solomon, of this of this husband who would look at us and say, there's no flaw in you. I love you. Just one look from you melts my heart. I want to be with you. That that poem would pop, would, would make us think, wow, I know what I'm really like, but that's what he thinks of me. He must really love me. This is what I'm really like. And he still went to die for me. Jesus, who bears scars, knows exactly what we're like, knows exactly how rotten we are, gives us the spirit so we would see that. Not because he wants to rub it in, not because he wants to, or because he enjoys seeing us, seeing us feel rubbish about ourselves, but because he wants to clean us. He wants to make us something far better than we are. He wants to bring us to know himself, to be his bride, to be his people, who really would be spotless. He wants to bring us into his presence so that we'd enjoy him forever and know him. And that's what he does. Another thing, the third thing, doesn't just bend our knees, but he picks us up again and says, my peace I leave with you. Do you remember? We read that a minute ago. My peace I leave with you. Don't be afraid. Another place in chapter 16, he says, your sorrow will be turned to joy. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid when I go. You'll be full of rejoicing. You'll be able to come to my father and ask him anything you want. This is 16 verse 28. You'll be able to come to my father and ask anything you want because he loves you because he loves you. Nothing you need to do to make yourself worthy in his presence. You just need to ask me to bring you in, to clean you up, to baptize you, to die for you, to rise again for you, and to bring you into his presence. 
can I read you something? A couple of things as we finish up. One is from a man called um, Brother Lawrence. He was a monk and he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. It's a really helpful book in many different ways. And this is what he writes about what I've just been talking about. He says, I regard myself as the most wretched of all men, stinking and covered with sores. Makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? We like to think in kind of terms of self-esteem and this is kind of the opposite. I think of myself, I regard myself as one who's committed all sorts of crimes against this king. And so overcome by remorse, I confess all my wickedness to him, ask his pardon and abandon myself entirely to him who to do with as he will. But this king, filled with goodness and mercy, far from chastising me, far from rubbing, rubbing it in, he lovingly embraces me, makes me eat at his table, serves me with his own hands, gives me the keys of his treasures and treats me as his favourite, me. He talks with me and is delighted with me in a thousand and one ways. He forgives me and relieves me of my principal bad habits without talking about them, without rubbing it in. I beg him to make me according to his heart. And always the more weak and despicable I see myself to be, the more beloved I am of God. You see, that's, he takes pity on us. He doesn't want to rub it in. He just wants to show us who we are so that we turn to him and that that we'd see him for all he is, the God who loves us, who welcomes us to his table, who gives us the keys of the kingdom and says, I want to be with you. I want to make your heart, your community, your world, my home, my people, my heart. God gives himself to you, promises his presence. Three effects of that that we've seen, haven't we? One, Jesus becomes big in our eyes. We see him. Two, it humbles us. We want to fall on our knees and say, say, why would you want anything to do with me, God? But then three, picks us up again, gives us peace, gives us courage, helps us to go and share him, bears fruit in our lives, all these different things. And the final thing I want to read is from Revelation chapter one, is John's picture, John's experience of this. Um, John is in the spirit, he says, on the Lord's day, the spirit of God is with him. And what happens? sees Jesus. You can go and read it in Revelation chapter one, read it in full. He sees this beautiful, like really heavy and full of metaphors, vision of Jesus. See Jesus for who he really is. And, and then says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Do you see that? The spirit comes, he sees Jesus, he falls down and then Jesus comes. Lay, and John says, he laid his right hand on me and said, fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I'm with you, Jesus says. I'm the one who's with the churches. Go and read it in Revelation chapter one. When the spirit is with us, when, when we're in God's presence, we see Jesus for who he really is. That humbles us and shows us who we really are. But then he comes along in his mercy, in his goodness, in his grace, picks us up again, forgives us, clothes us, looks at us with love welcomes us to his table and says, I will be with you to the very end of the age. As long as you're breathing, I will be with you. And when you stop breathing, you will be with me. Do you know him? Do you know his presence? Are you practicing his presence day by day when you're feeling alone, when you're washing the dishes, when you're cleaning the car, when you're getting ready for bed, when you're eating meals together, when you're reading the Bible, when you're with his people, when you're out speaking, do you know his presence? Do you know that he is with you to the very end of the age? His spirit is amongst us always, especially when we gather, especially when we're out sharing about him on the front lines. Because Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us has come 
and promises to be forever among us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that this is really true, that you are the one who's with us always to the very end of the age. We pray that you'd help us to know that. Lord, we pray that you help us to be reading the scriptures, to be praying always when we're doing little things, when we're doing spiritual things together as a community. Lord, when we're out sharing, when we're feeling alone, when we're with others, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to know your presence with us always. Help us to, Father, as your spirit comes to us, we pray that you'd help us to see Jesus. We pray that you'd help us to see ourselves, but that that wouldn't that you wouldn't leave us there, Lord, that you would take us up, that you would pick us up by your right hand and help us to see all that you've made us to be, all that you've given us in the Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to be people who live in your presence always. So would you come to us? Lord, would you help us know that you're with us? And would you help us live with you step by step all of our days, we pray. Amen.